Good morning to you too. I am Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both online and in the Lake Norman YMCA. Always good to be together as a church family as we rebuild the habits of worshiping and serving together on Sunday mornings. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Well, if this is your first time with us, you would not know, but we are in the midst of a season of celebration this fall. We are celebrating 10 years together as a church family. We are celebrating that at the end of this year, with the blessing of all of Lake Forest, we will become our own freestanding local church called Story Hill Church. And we are celebrating that we are in the midst of the Established in Love campaign to secure funds to start building a building on South Main Street in Davidson. We are reminding ourselves constantly that a church building is not the Holy Grail. A church building is a tool for long-term vibrant ministry in our community. A church building is an opportunity to open our doors to our neighbors seven days a week, our most vulnerable neighbors and our down-the-street neighbors. And a church building ultimately is our prayer that God will take our step of faith, that God will take the God stories of these first 10 years, your story, my story, hundreds of stories, will take those stories and build on them, replicate them, multiply them in the years to come. Throughout the Established in Love process, we've been telling everybody that we are asking you to bring your Established in Love commitment on or before September 19th. Guess what? Today is September 19th. Yes. So today is the hand-in day. Today is the day we transition from make your commitment to make good on your commitment part of the campaign. But I do look forward to seeing how God will grow all of us now throughout the three years ahead of Established in Love repurposing some of our skills, our resources, our time for God's kingdom. So at the end of the sermon today, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to invite you to come and to bring any prayer requests, any tithes or any offerings to the baskets around the room. But you can also, during that time, bring your Established in Love commitment card and any first contributions you're able to make. So again, after the sermon, there's typically one or two songs, but that's the response time. That first song is really the response time. Come, bring your commitment card as part of an act of worship, as part of entrusting it to God, part of your response to God's generosity in your life. Now, if this is the first time you've ever heard about Established in Love, there are booklets on your way out the door. So you can grab an Established in Love booklet on your way out the door. You can learn more about the building, more about the campaign. Believe it or not, we will receive late pledge cards. We will. Good credit, bad credit, no credit, no problem. We will receive late pledge cards. And of course, if you forgot yours, that's okay. You can always bring it next Sunday. You can bring it by the church office. You, there's a little black box bolted to the wall and it's locked you can just put it in that if you are worshiping with us online 
You can go to storyhill.org, storyhill.org, which will be our long-term church website. But as of right now, it's the landing page for Establish and Love. And on storyhill.org, what you will see is there's a How to Give button, and under How to Give, there's a digital commitment card. So after the sermon, during the response time, you can get on there, fill that joker out, hit submit when people are bringing their cards to the baskets, so it can be a response time for everybody. So I'm glad you're here. This is an exciting day in the life of the church as we continue to be established in love. It's also a fun day in the life of the church because we are continuing our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. For all of 2021, we're going through the big picture of the Bible, that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world. He invites you, He invites me to find our place in it. And we have resources available like reading plans, like videos you can watch to make the Bible a little less big and intimidating. So throughout the first half of the Bible, we've been hearing about a coming hero, a wounded champion called the Messiah, called the Christ, who's going to lead an eternal kingdom. Now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that He's fully God, that He's fully human. God wrapped Himself in human flesh and moved into the neighborhood, and He moved into the neighborhood on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God. Jesus began His ministry preaching a very simple message, which was, it's time to change. It's time to change. The kingdom is being established. And if you ever come to that point that you believe Jesus, that it is time to change, He invites you into the kingdom with these words, Come, follow Me, and I will repurpose your life. So today we're going to continue to explore who is this Jesus the Christ. And what does he mean for us today? If you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, what does Jesus mean to us today? Because we've seen Jesus do miraculous things so far. We saw Jesus muzzle that storm. We've seen Jesus change people's identities. Today we want to look at one of Jesus' sermons. One of Jesus' sermons. Because we all have heroes in our lives, right? We all have people from, hey, How's it going? We all have heroes in our life. We all have people that we would want to learn more about from history. I have all, a huge list of all d different people for various reasons. Coach Wooden, Mother Teresa, General Eisenhower, Sojourner Truth, St. Augustine, any of these folks. Sit down with them for 15 minutes. And I'd ask them all kinds of questions about leadership, about courage, about pastoring, about being a dad, being a father, being a friend, being a husband. I guess dad and father was repetitive. Like if these folks had done a TED talk, I would watch it again and again and again until I knew it by heart. And yet, when we read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is his longest recorded sermon, when we read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we are hearing from the capital H hero. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' TED Talk. It is what we can read again and again and again until we know it by heart. It's three chapters, like Bible chapters. That means it's about three pages. When we start to read the Sermon on the Mount, we are sitting at the feet of the Master. The author of life is teaching us how to live. So Pete read for us earlier 
from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, what is often called the Beatitudes. And that is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Remember, Bible chapters, so about a page long. So if this is your very first time at church and you're trying to impress your religious friends later, you can say, hey, at church today, we studied the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, His longest recorded sermon, and your friends will be impressed. The Beatitudes all take the same form. Jesus says, blessed are blank, for they will blank. Blessed are blank, for they will blank. He does this eight times and then riffs a little bit on the eighth one. Before we hit the Beatitudes, I want to fast forward to the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's a buffering noise. The Sermon on the Mount ends this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then Jesus goes on to say the opposite is true, that people who hear his words and don't put them into practice are like a foolish guy who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the house crashed down because it did not have a good foundation. In modern sermons, we often start with a joke or a relatable personal story. Then we establish our main point from a scriptural text. Then we talk about what it means practically. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus does not even start with a joke, leaving us to wonder what kind of jokes Jesus told. He then starts with the Beatitudes instead, and he ends the sermon with an analogy about houses, houses who have different foundations. He starts with a vision of what our lives could be as part of the kingdom, and then he ends by telling us how to get there. His final analogy about the houses is actually the starting point from which we make sense of the rest of his sermon. Because he says these two houses experience the same storms, and one house stands and one house falls, and the differences are two. The differences between the houses are the wisdom of the builder and the foundation of the house. The differences between the two houses at the end of Jesus' sermon are the wisdom of the builder, the foundation of the house, and the two are related. And here Jesus is talking about our lives, your life and my life, and he's saying that in our lives we are going to experience storms, we are going to experience hardships, we will be tossed around by events that are beyond our control, and the long-term quality of our lives is going to boil down to two things, which is to choose the foundation of our lives well and our wisdom in which one we choose. The the quality of our lives is going to boil down to the foundation of our life and our wisdom in which foundation we choose. Now Jesus is making an even bolder point than that when he says that he is the one sure foundation on which to build your life. That a relationship with Jesus the Christ based on love and trust is the sure foundation for our lives. 
That's the reason that we would listen to Jesus. That's the reason that we would put His teachings into practice because we have a living relationship with Him, a relationship based on love, based on trust, not on guilt, not on compulsion, not on fear, but based on love, based on trust. So the primary question of the Sermon on the Mount is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Kind of like last week, When Jesus asked his disciples, what about you? Who do you say that I am? A similar question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will we ignore him? Will we run away from him? Because he is inviting each of us to love him and to trust him. He is inviting us to commit our lives to him. He is inviting us to be his followers, to be his disciples. And so you could think about the Sermon on the Mount as the life into which Jesus is calling his disciples, concluding by an invitation to become a disciple of Jesus. You could see the whole Sermon on the Mount as being the life into which Jesus is calling his disciples, the life into which he's calling his followers, concluding with an invitation to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He paints for three chapters what life looks like in God's kingdom, and then he concludes with an invitation to join the kingdom. And that invitation is not just for the people then. It's for you and me now. You and I can still commit our lives to being disciples, to being followers of Jesus. Jesus' invitation is also for the people that we love, the people that are in our lives. God's family has just grown throughout history one more person at a time. God often puts that one more person in each of our lives. A person who may one day commit themselves to following Jesus, but at the very least where they are right now is they trust you to help them navigate their God-sized questions. So so the whole sermon ends with the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Kind of where we ended last week's sermon. What I now want to do is turn to the Beatitudes because what we've tried to say is once you answer the question, what are you going to do with Jesus, that's the starting line, not the finish line. It's the starting line, the foundation of building a beautiful life, building the sort of life God would want for you. And that gets us to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, you'll remember, are a virtue for Jesus' disciples to cultivate. They're virtues for Jesus' disciples to cultivate joined to a promise for Jesus' disciples to cherish. The Beatitudes are a virtue, blessed are blank. They are a virtue for Jesus' disciples to cultivate, but then they keep getting joined to promises for you to cherish, for they will blank. So they're a kingdom virtue and a kingdom promise, all eight. A kingdom virtue and a kingdom promise. Jesus begins his sermon by handing his disciples and his future disciples a virtue to cultivate, a promise to cherish. He does it eight times. So for the rest of the sermon, what I'm going to do is give you a quick overview of those eight virtues. What it looks like to build a life on the foundation of Jesus. And then at the very, very end, I'm going to quickly remind you of the promises and the identity that Jesus gives you as his follower. Does that make sense? 
So the bulk of what's left, we're about halfway through. I've just summarized the most important sermon in about 10 minutes. What we're going to do now is look at the eight virtues for the bulk of the time left, and then a little bit at the end about the promises and the identity Jesus offers you as his follower. If you are his follower, if you ever become his follower. Because you remember last week, Jesus asked uh, his disciples, who do you say that I am? The point here is once you answer that question, you might then turn back to Jesus and ask the same question. What about you, Jesus? Who do you say that I am? As we go through the eight virtues, will you think about this question? Which of these virtues do you believe God is calling you to cultivate more? Which of these eight virtues from the Sermon on the Mount do you believe God is calling you to cultivate more? And what is your first step in doing so? Where do the Beatitudes intersect with your life? As you think about the situation you're in right now, or as you think about what your established and love commitment represents to you, or you think about what's ahead, you know there's some tough stuff coming down the road for you. What does Jesus-centered growth look like for you? Are we ready? Kingdom virtue number one, number one, number number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the first virtue is to be poor in spirit. At this point, you might say, huh? How is that a virtue? What does that even mean? Well, think about when we say that somebody came from humble beginnings. What do we mean? They grew up poor. So the words poor and humble could be used interchangeably here. To say that someone is poor in spirit means that they are humble in spirit. Humility is, in fact, the very first virtue that many followers of Jesus have to cultivate because it takes just a little bit of humility to admit that you need God, a little bit of humility to admit you cannot be and do all that you need to be and do, and thus we need God. It takes a little bit of humility to, to, to cultivate that deeper awareness of how much we need God, how much we need other people, that we can't solve our own shortcomings, that in fact we need loving and trusting relationships with God and with other people to become the folks God's intended us to be. So the first kingdom virtue is to be humble in spirit, to be poor in spirit. Number two, blessed are those who mourn. So the second virtue is mourning. Again, you might respond by saying, huh? How is that a virtue? Mourning means a willingness to weep for what makes God weep. A willingness to have our heart broken for what breaks God's heart. And certainly when we look at the world around us, certainly when we look into our own lives, there are plenty of things that could break God's heart. As we look at the world around us, as we look at our community, as we look even deep in our own lives, it's always easier to see the brokenness out there, typically. So this virtue means that you and I would not be indifferent to the things in our lives or the things in our 
college or the things in our community or the things in our world that break God's heart, that instead we would allow these things to grieve us as they grieve God. That this is in fact the first step to addressing the issue in our life or the first step to addressing the issue in the broader world. To cultivate the virtue of mourning, weeping for what makes God weep. That's number two. Number three, the third virtue is meekness. Blessed are the meek. Meekness means strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is great strength kept under proper self-control. And so meekness has two parts. First is strength, to become a person of strength, to become a strong person, a person of courage and of, of integrity, even in the face of fear. But then the second part is keeping it under self-control, keeping that strength under control. Not using strength to steamroll people or intimidate people or make sure you always get your way no matter what. Learning to control our strength, to harness our strength towards something good, to harness our strength toward God-honoring purposes. So blessed are the meek. That was number three. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the fourth virtue is hungering or thirsting for righteousness. That's talking about yearning. Yearning for righteousness. Like how you start yearning for dinner about 15 minutes before you eat it. Like how you start yearning for this sermon to be over about 10 minutes before it is. Yearning. Jesus is inviting us to yearn for righteousness. Now notice, not self-righteousness. Just the normal old good kind of righteousness. Righteousness means being right with God, having a right relationship with God. So self-righteousness is when I'm going to take it upon myself to have a right relationship with God. Regular old good righteousness is having a right relationship with God that we believe comes through faith in Christ, through receiving by trust and love what Christ has done for us, not what we do for Christ. So yearning to have a right relationship with God, yearning for that relationship to flow over into right relationships with other people, to receive God's redemptive love, to then let that redemptive love overflow into the relationship of our lives, ultimately to live a life that honors God. Pursuing godly character so a right relationship with God that overflows into the relationships of our lives and in fact causes us to live a life that honors God, to pursue character that honors God, not character that's just about what I want or what everyone else around me tells me I should want. So that's the hunger for righteousness. The fifth, blessed are the merciful, for the, so the virtue would be mercy, very good. Mercy is about showing kindness to those who need kindness. As we've worked with our architect during this building process, this is one of the four words we have told them, that we want the building to reflect beauty, function, mercy, and uh, responsibility. 
So timeless beauty, uh, flexible use, square feet, the ability, mercy, the ability to open our doors to our community, our neighbors to meet the needs of our community, and then uh, responsibility, that we would be wise in how we take care of the resources God's entrusted to us. That's what mercy is about. Mercy is about opening doors. Opening doors to a church family, but opening the doors of our lives. Leading with God's embrace. Inviting people in. It doesn't mean that we have to turn a blind eye to everyone's faults. It doesn't mean that we have to be naive. But we can show kindness to people in need of kindness. Blessed are the merciful. Number six. We're doing all right. We're keeping a good pace. Blessed are the pure in heart. So the sixth virtue, kingdom virtue, is to be pure in heart. Purity. Jesus is calling us into a life of purity. Purity in our motives, purity in our actions. Jesus is inviting us to act out of pure motives, to not let self-interest cloud all of our decisions so that even the nice things we do are out of self-interest. He's inviting us to be pure in our motives and pure in our actions such as our language, such as our sexual lives. To enjoy that sort of intimacy only within the commitment of marriage, to use language that is uplifting instead of vulgar, instead of destructive. The point being that your words and my words and our actions don't just happen. Our words flow out of what we most deeply believe. Our actions flow out of what we most deeply believe. So you and I are invited to keep working with God to purify what we are really like at our core. Blessed are the pure in heart. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. So the seventh kingdom virtue is making peace. Healing strained relationships. Notice this does not say keeping peace, right? You know, like keeping peace, if you have been to a family gathering around a presidential election or over the last 18 months, like you know what keeping peace means, right? Uncle Bob and Uncle Fred don't agree on anything except the importance of ruining all family gatherings with their arguments. And so you bring a list of topics, and if it gets close to a hot button, you throw one out. What about fishing? just to keep the peace. This is making peace. Making peace is the willingness to work towards healing strained relationships. Now, you cannot control what other people do, but as far as it depends on you, a peacemaker decides to live at peace with everyone. So this involves admitting where you've been wrong, admitting how you might have hurt people, being willing to ask for forgiveness. It also means being open to mending the relationship. If the other people are ever open to mending it, you are open to mending it. When we figure out why the bridge burned, they will not find any gasoline poured on my side of the bridge. They will in fact see a little stub of a bridge starting to be built back out. Making peace. And the final one, number eight, is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So the final virtue is persecution because of righteousness. And again, you might say, huh? 
How is that a virtue? Well, remember, righteousness refers to a right relationship with God that spills over to the relationships of our lives and causes us to live in ways that honor God. And the point is, not everyone is going to be thrilled if you start walking in God's ways. So the point is that you and I don't abandon Jesus and don't abandon following Jesus because it gets hard, because it starts to cost us something, because not everybody is a fan of us walking in God's ways. Now, you don't need to be a jerk for Jesus, but as you follow Jesus in a way that is humble and hopefully winsome, not everything's going to go your way, and not everyone's going to support your God-honoring decisions. So Jesus reminds us in the eighth virtue, it is a virtue to be willing to pay the price of following Jesus. It is a virtue to be willing to withstand everyone not being thrilled with your decisions because you are pursuing a God-honoring life. Well, hopefully, the last, uh, those eight virtues in some ways were exciting of showing up a life of what it could be. I imagine in some ways they were also uh, possibly discouraging, like, oh, well, I don't leave the Beatitudes going, well, I got seven of those down pretty good. I just got to work on the eighth one. And so I just want to leave you with this thought, that when Jesus-centered character growth gets hard, we must remember the promises of the Beatitudes. When Jesus-centered character growth gets hard, we must remember the promises of the Beatitudes. And it will get hard in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, over the three years of fulfilling your commitment in life in general, it will get hard. And so don't forget the promises. Jesus promises His disciples that they are God's children. So if you are committed to Jesus the Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are God's child. And as God's child, you have everything at your disposal. It is your inheritance. In your sorrow, you will be comforted. In your failings, God will show you mercy. And in the end, you will be satisfied. You will be filled beyond what I can describe. When you see God, in the same way you are seeing me right now, when you see God and you live forever in His eternal kingdom, not because of how well you kept the do's and don'ts, not that you checked off all eight Beatitudes, but that in your heart of hearts, you came to love and trust Jesus. So when it gets hard, lean into the promises, lean into the identity that Jesus has given you, but don't forget to lean into Jesus. Don't forget to lean more on the foundation as you go through the storm. This is not about you working harder. It's about you growing closer to God. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you for a beautiful image of what our lives could be. Thank you for the promises and the new identity that strengthen us as we pursue it. But thank you most of all for Jesus who walks with us through it all. The good, the hard, the easy, the fun, the not fun. Lord, as we grow, may we become more dependent on Jesus, not less dependent. As we take new steps of faith, may it not inflate our ego, but inflate our view of your goodness. And Lord, maybe for some of us today, we need to answer Jesus' final question of the sermon. What are you going to do with me? Am I the foundation on which you will build your life? In the quiet of our hearts, may we respond to that invitation. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.